Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Alex Baird. I'm the, the lead pastor here at Ridgeview, and today we are uh, celebrating uh, Palm Sunday. And uh, this is actually the time of year, uh, the week before Easter, where churches around the world uh, recognize uh, what's called as Holy Week. And it begins with uh, today, like this Palm Sunday, which represents uh, Jesus coming uh, to the city of Jerusalem and people awaiting uh, their king. And uh, in the middle of uh, this season, it's, it's very easy to be overwhelmed with all that we have going on in life. Uh, if you're like me, you may have walked in this morning and you have uh, tons of things that you have to get uh, in, your, in your work and your job and all of the items related to that. And we work Monday through Friday, sometimes Monday through Saturday, different kinds of shifts. And we enter on a Sunday oftentimes uh, trying to kind of find a space to maybe get new perspective, a space to uh, get refilled. But uh, it's very easy to be, be frantic, um, to just feel like it's very difficult to leave uh, work where it is. And, and I find that for myself. I'm a pastor full-time, but even my job as a pastor, it can be just filled with all the things that I have to do, all the things that I haven't done that I need to get to. And even on a Sunday when I come, I can feel frantic. Uh, for some of you also, there's just relationships that you have that are very dear to you uh, that may be broken or strained, and you're feeling like the weight of that. And those things are always there. And then there may be some things that you're hoping will happen in your life and, and they haven't yet. And there's just a sense of like disconnection from what you hope will be and, and where you are and there's regret and all sorts of things. The reason I bring this up is oftentimes during this year, uh, the springtime begins, of course, a very busy season. Uh, in the church, it's busy. Uh, at work, in home life, activities, uh, it's one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. And in the middle of that, the chaos and hastiness can be our main experience. And so what I hope today is to take a time to reflect on how important and essential this week is as we prepare uh, for Easter. Now, when I was a kid, I loved Easter, uh, but it wasn't about going to church. I loved Easter because I was gonna get an Easter basket. Anybody like you get Easter baskets growing up, right? The best Easter I ever had was I didn't get a basket. I got a baseball glove that was my basket with all sorts of treats in there. And so next week here at Ridgeview, you will not be getting that. You guys are getting excited for a second. I'm sorry, that, that was a really big letdown, I apologize. But you will be getting a mug today, so there you go. But Easter, you know, it's more obviously than uh, family traditions and celebrations. It's more than even just coming to church one, one day. It, it represents something that's the most significant thing in history. And it's more than just that day. It, it actually leads up. And as you, you read the New Testament and you read the life of Jesus, you see that uh, all the years of his ministry, three public years of ministry, kind of led to this culmination of what we celebrate on Easter. And it's very significant because the people in Jesus' time, just like the people today, are awaiting for something to change. People are waiting for something to give in their life. So the chaos, the hecticness, the hastiness that you may feel, we're all waiting for like relief. And people in, in Jesus' day were, were waiting for this Messiah that was promised. And they were under uh, the Roman rule. They were under a really the authority of people that didn't have their best interests in mind. They were like an oppressed people and 
God's people through Israel, that they'd been that just time and time and time again. They'd get free and they'd go back into slavery through their own decisions or for the decisions of their enemies. And so they, they awaited and longed for, for a king that would save them. And as we talk about Jesus, and today my focus is gonna be on how he's the rightful king and the humble king and he's the victorious king. Uh, in our world, it's sometimes hard to connect our concept of a king. Now, I grew up in England, so like I'm all about royalty, right? The queen is a big deal. We celebrate that. And all of the royal family, it's a big deal. And here in America, we're like, we don't need no kings. We, we left them, right? But there's something in us that we do long for a right ruler to lead us. There's something in us where there's brokenness in the world and we want things to be made right. And usually there's two approaches. Either we follow somebody that we think will take care of our problems or uh, we don't trust anyone and we wanna take care of our problems ourselves. And that's been the course of history for every single person, no matter what their background. We're all looking for somebody to make things right. We either look at ourselves and we wanna fix it or we look for someone else. And the Jewish people were the same. They were under this tyrannical rule and they longed for relief. And they were awaiting this king who would come, the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. And when Jesus came on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before the celebration of Easter, which is the culmination of next weekend of his death and his burial and his resurrection, much happened within those seven days. And so what I wanna do is I wanna read the scriptures today to talk about the triumphal entry of Christ, to kind of get to history of what happened at that time and relate it to what that means for us. Because I still believe, no matter who you are and where you're from and what you've done, we still long for somebody to make things right. And we could spend time looking at us and trying to fix it, try to fix our family, try to fix our community through self-effort, through hope, through belief, or we're looking for somebody else to make it right. But whether you look at somebody else in our government or somebody else in a leader of your home or somebody else just in the mirror, you always come up empty. Because as humans, we cannot fix our problems. The big problem of sin, of brokenness. We can't fix it. And so everywhere we look outside of this Messiah that was promised, we, we always come up empty. And so my hope today as we read the scriptures from a time a couple thousand years ago, we'll see the same struggles that they had, the same struggles that we have, but on this side of history, how we can have hope because of what Christ did. So I wanna start by reading uh, an account in the book of John, which is one of the gospels about Jesus' life. And it's found in John 12. And you can also find this in Matthew 21, Mark 11, and Luke 19. So if you're new to reading the scriptures, one of the things that's helpful about scripture is, uh, especially about Jesus, there's four accounts of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's called the gospels. And so we have four accounts from four different people from their different version of what they saw, but they all have agreement. And so let's read from John uh, about what Christ did on the Palm Sunday. It says, the next day, the large crowd had come to the feast, uh, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. 
And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. You can go to the next slide there. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. It goes on, verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. This sign is of Lazarus, if you go back there. This sign is of Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. In the next slide, verse 19, it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So there's a few different people that are experiencing this event of Christ coming to Jerusalem. You have the crowds that are there for the Passover feast. This is like a celebration. You'd have people that this was a pilgrimage. They're all coming to Jerusalem. They didn't live there, but they're coming to celebrate Passover, which goes back to the the Old Testament. The Israelites getting free of slavery from the Egyptians. And so you see again, the slavery that they experienced and the longing for relief. And so all are coming from that region to celebrate Passover together as one people. And then you have people who live in Jerusalem that have been seeing all that's going on and seeing some things that Jesus are doing and and the, the crowds are beginning to form and they're beginning to follow him more and more. And then the third is the religious leaders here, the Pharisees. And they're seeing some things that are going and they, they mark that the world is going after him. So there's some momentum uh, for Jesus. There's this crowd and his notoriety and the things that he's doing, it's just spreading. Now, this is a time there's no social media. No one's posting and reposting and reposting, but it's word of mouth and it's spreading like a fire. People are seeing what Jesus has done and are telling people, can't believe it. And so you have all of these people that are expecting something, this expectation. And depending on the group, they had maybe a different expectation. The Pharisees' expectation is how do we squelch and control this man? Because he was a threat to their own power. And you had these people coming to this pilgrimage that like, this is the Messiah that we've, we've longed for and we've come here for this pilgrimage and God has heard our prayers. And you have people that are just showing up seeing there's a lot of craziness happening and we're in the middle of this. We live here. There's a lot more people and there's a lot more noise. What is going on? And in that, God begins to work. So I wanna talk about this idea of this king that we welcome to our world. And Jesus was the king and he is the king. But according to the scriptures, which I'm gonna dig into based on John we find three things. The first is that, that Christ, he, he was the rightful king. John 12, uh, 13, you put that on there. It says, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna is not a word that we use much today. When was the last time you used it? In a while, we're gonna sing a song called Hosanna. You'll be able to say, I used it today, right? But apart from like singing a Christian song, it's not like, we say it, but it's so that I have like praise. Like there, there's this just, you don't really know what to say, but just praise. Hosanna. Like this is good. This is fantastic. This is marvelous. And, and all the people are, are doing this. And it says they, they took palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, blessing and praise and Hosanna. So for a visual, 
I did cut this today, and I walked it to my house, and I thought, how many people are walking in my neighborhood thinking, what, this man has lost his mind? But this is a, uh, this is a, a palm, like, branch, and uh, we see this all in Southern California. Year-round, they're, they're green, and they would wave this. And in this instance, uh, this has a sign of a few things. Uh, first, uh, it, it represents strength. Um, a palm tree flourishes in the desert. That's why they do so well in Fontana, right? They, they flourish. And then you'll see pictures there. That is literally in the desert. This is Southern California. And then uh, there's this beauty that they have that they're, they're evergreen. And so when the people grabbed these palm trees, they were saying, listen, the king is here. We're not worthy just to welcome him like anybody. But we are gonna wave these. And you could just, Hosanna. And they would just be waving them. And you know, there's kids stabbing each other and people are getting hit in the face. And they're trying to see Jesus and he's coming and just, Hosanna, Hosanna, he's here. And in the book of Matthew, they said, people were taking off their cloaks, and putting him on the ground. So not only were they welcoming him, this was royal welcome, but they didn't want him to actually touch the floor with his own feet or even the animal that carried him. They wanted him to to walk on their own clothing. And so they were in this this sacrifice, and it starts with this this just waving. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever walked somewhere and somebody's been like, hey, and a group of people say, hey, and you feel really good, but have you ever had a whole group of people Just be like, welcome, welcome. Like, probably not. That's because we don't really deserve a welcome like this. This is reserved for somebody who is a king, who's royal. And so the people, what I didn't think is where I'm putting this after, I'm just gonna throw it right here. But the people said like, this is the worthy one. This is who we've been waiting for. Now, in the book of John, what you find as you dig in a little bit more is this is actually quoted as a prophecy from the book of Zechariah. Now, check this out. This is Zechariah 9, 9, part A, and it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Zion could also be called Jerusalem, kind of synonymous. So rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Now, what's really interesting is that the people during this time on this Sunday, this Palm Sunday that we celebrate, a couple thousand years ago, they knew that this scripture, this book, Zechariah, was written about 500 years before Jesus came. So they, they knew the Old Testament. They were waiting. They were longing for this royal king that would come to relieve them of the power struggle, to relieve them of their sin, to relieve them of all the tension that they experienced in their life. And so when they're crying out Hosanna, they're speaking to this promise, righteous and having salvation, he's come to save us. Now at this moment in history, this is the welcome of Christ. And isn't it so fascinating when you think of what happened five days later, Hosanna, Royal, rejoice, praise to you. We're taking off our jackets so you can walk on the ground. And five days later, he was killed. In the history of mankind, there's never been somebody who is welcomed so royally and so great as a rightful king and then killed. 
just like that. By the same people. It's fascinating. It's tragic, and at the same time, it's hopeful. And we'll, we'll talk about that. And so the celebration began. He is our rightful king. He is this king who will save us. He's this king who has come. He's this king who 500 years ago we were told, and now he's here. But the thing about Christ is he just didn't come as this rightful king claiming the authority that was his. He came actually with a purpose. And not only was he the rightful king, but as you dig into the scripture some more, he was the humble king. He was the rightful king and he was the humble king. And this is where the narrative begins to shift. Zechariah 9, the second part, Notices how he comes. So righteousness and salvation, he's the king, but then notice how it shifts. Part B, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So as I was researching, I was like, are we talking about like three different animals? Did he like hop from one? No, it's just being very specific in its description. Basically, it's a male donkey. Now, which one is the donkey? The small one on the right, okay? Here's another, here's another image. I think. Now, I don't know about you, so here's, here's me. You could pick any animal. You can ride whichever one. I am not going right on any of my choices. I'm going left. I need a saddle. I need somebody to walk me down, right? I'm making demands. I'm not going, look at this thing. I'm not, that couldn't even carry me, right? No way. But Christ knew what was foretold. He knew why he had come. It was to fulfill the promise of the rightful king. But the rightful king was also the humble king who even from his entry to fulfill the promise of why he had come, he was making a point. He was not worthy to be on the horse. And to fulfill the prophecy, he would have to be on a young male donkey and this is so important because it's literally not on his high horse. Think about that phrase. He didn't come on his high horse. He came on a young male donkey. I don't know if there's any other worse animal than something that's young and a male and a donkey. That just has stubbornness and aggression written all over it. You guys didn't know I was like a jockey in my former life. I really wasn't. But I could imagine that would have been a rough situation but Christ was fulfilling uh, the prophecy. And the picture was, I, I'm accessible. I'm actually a person here to be a, for the, all the people. You're expecting this rightful king for which I am, but I'm also a humble king for who you can know. And the symbolism here that's written in scripture in the Old Testament, again, 500 years before it happened, is pretty amazing. And to see Jesus as the fulfillment of that, you, you couldn't actually make this up. You couldn't wire this uh, together. And this is where the narrative shifts through this picture. Jesus uh, did not come to conquer men. He came to conquer sin. And because of that, it changed everything. But what began in this and what ended as we celebrate Easter, is that people had an expectation of what Jesus would do. 
They had demands of him. You're gonna remove us from this rule. You're gonna be the Jesus and the Messiah that we've told you you will be. And Christ came and said, I'm gonna be the Christ whom my father has sent. And you began to see the people, begin to see their, their, their vision and their understanding and their expectation of what Christ would do. And it was not meeting up to their own views. And it began to crack and it began to, to shatter. And so what Jesus is saying is to be great in this kingdom that I'm the rightful king for, you must humble yourself. And they had no idea the degree to which that humility would happen that would lead ultimately to his death. We find later in the scriptures, in the New Testament, book of Philippians, read this, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Verse eight says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So if you could imagine all of the people, come and conquer, come and reign, come in your righteousness, come in your salvation, come in your power. Remove us from these people. Give us the victory that we've longed for. And Christ said, I will give you the victory, but it's not even in this world. I'm gonna give you an eternal victory. I'm not conquering men, I'm conquering sin. And I'm gonna prepare you by even the choice of how I will be transported on this young donkey. He carried our sin. And that process began in that humility of going into Jerusalem knowing for what awaited him. In John 3, 16 and 17, we see this fully expressed. It said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Now that's really important because at the end of the day, what did the Jewish people want? They wanted the wrath of God against all these people. Save us. We don't care what you do to them, but save us. But Christ came to not condemn the world, everybody, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There was only one way for this righteousness and for this salvation to get to all the people. If you destroy the people, they can't be saved. But Christ, by destroying himself and allowing himself to be crucified and dying for us, he did what we could not do. He conquered sin. He paid the price of death for the penalty of it. Again, we all try to save ourselves. We all want the relief. But Christ came as the rightful king and he came as the humble king. And for us to follow that same principle, it's upside down. I don't know about you, but there's times I look at what's going on in our world and I want, again, God to fix it on my own terms. Most of the time it's like this. You ever have a problem and you're just like, you know, take your time, God. I'm, I'll wait. Are you kidding me? Like waiting and patience is one of the hardest virtues because we have problems and we want relief as soon as possible. Now, there's empathy with 
the Jewish people, right? Because 500 years? Think about generations passing to generations passing. Wait for the Messiah, he's gonna come. I thought he would come in my lifetime, but he hasn't. He's telling their kids and grandkids, but you wait, the Messiah will come. 500 years have passed. I, I don't even fathom that. If my Amazon Prime package is coming in three days instead of two, there's a problem. 500 years. But Christ did come. And he came on his own term, in his own timing, in his own way. And that humility is what separates Christianity and Christ from any other spirituality or religion in the world. Because no one has come and fulfilled the prophecies of something that was said about them hundreds of years before he came. And there's no one that has come to die for people who are guilty <laughs> and he's innocent. And there's no one who's come who rose again and thousands saw him. No one has done that. And that's why we celebrate today the rightful king and the humble king. And the good news is he's the victorious king. John 12, 13, the account just to go back there, it says this, it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. That word even, it's a little clunky in this version, but it's, it's the idea of like, hail the king of Israel. Like he is the king of Israel. And that blessing is uh, success. And this, John 12, 13, is connected to another prophecy found in Psalm 118. And it says this, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So another Old Testament, this is a song that's written and just blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the people with these palms are just blessed is he who comes. Blessed is he who comes. This is the Messiah who's come to save us. He's gonna bring us success. He's gonna bring us a victory. But again, they had no idea how the victory would be won. And I want to just say this, and I've been really wrestling this with myself. Many times in my life, I put God in a box that I want him to be in. I give him my plans and my ideas. And I'm like, God, go ahead and just stamp that. Just God approved. And then if you could expedite that and do what I need quickly, that'd be great. Again, the concept of waiting is very difficult. But what this is saying is, God, we, we long for relief. We, we long for help, but, but it's in your name. And because it's in your name, it's, it's in your timing. But if it's in God's name and it's in his timing, there will be success. And I think that's one of the biggest lies that we've battled through the beginning of time when sin first entered. Adam and Eve sinned because they really didn't trust that God would take care of them. They wanted the one thing that they couldn't have. They couldn't, that one tree, and that's the very thing they wanted. And like, that's, that's the human sin problem. But there's a reminder as we celebrate that Christ has come and he can do what no one else can do. And if we wait on him in his timing, in his name, a he, he will act and there will be lasting success. And you see in verse 19 of John 12, 
what begins to happen. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. There's lots of ways you can read that. The world has gone after him. Popularity is growing. His royal like power is becoming seen by these people, but then also the world's gone after him like this, like the mob, right? Think about it like that way. There's this group that's following him and, and he didn't do what they wanted. And to fulfill the scriptures, he was killed. He was crucified and he, he died a death that we could not imagine. But he was still victorious. And so as they're saying, long live the king, Jesus was thinking to himself, you have no idea how this victory will be won. And we find in Philippians 2, the extension, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the victory. But the only way that is the victory is because what Jesus did. Through his death, there's victory. Through his resurrection, there's victory. And the victory is found in the fact that we now have Christ who can lead us forward and he's right king and he's the humble king and he's the victorious king and he can actually lead us. What we all long for, the things to get sorted, the things to finally be in line and, and be as they should be for the brokenness to, to be healed. Now, on this side of eternity, there's gonna be brokenness until it wraps up. As long as we're here on this earth, we're gonna experience that. But we can find the help even in the broken things because of what Christ has done. And in the end, every knee will bow. And this is what's so important about this time right now, this week. It's a time for us to sort. It's time for us to reflect on our own life. And the idea is we all will bow to something because we all long for a king. We long for a ruler. We either bow to self. We bow to the American dream. We bow to success. We bow for the approval of others or we bow to the rightful, humble, victorious King, Jesus. Every one of us bows to something. And so the question is, which one do you bow to? And everyone will bow to Christ. It's either on this side of eternity or that side, meaning we will all face him in the end. And so what we do now is so crucial. Easter and Palm Sunday is this reminder that we can slow down, we can reflect and ask the question, in the end, as I reflect and look at my life and my energy and my thoughts and everything I'm giving to, who is it that I'm bowing to to serve? And Christ came so we could make that choice and shift it from us to him. And when we do that, there is real lasting blessing, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Now, when you, we think about bowing the knee and who we serve, we live in a time, especially in our culture, where we want to be independent. 
We wanna make sure that we're, we're powerful enough in ourselves. And some will say, you know, I, I was good. I was a good person. You heard that? It's easy to get into. I was good, but, but, but being good isn't enough because you can't pay for sin by being good because the wages of sin is, is actually death. Good and death aren't the same thing. Christ died. He paid it. We can't. Others will say, like, I, well, I believe. I believe in God. I believe in a, a higher power. But believing doesn't equate to bowing your knee. I think that's the difference, what we see in the church in America. America. Did I just say that? It sounded a little twangy there. America. There it is. Where I believe there's some sort of spiritual power out there. And then you, you talk more and it's just, well, I, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. What does that mean? I don't know. I just hear it and I say it. There's something out there. But belief in a general sense is not the same as bowing your knee. In fact, this kind of sets you a little bit sober, but it says the demons believe. So that shouldn't be the standard. They believe, but they don't bow. If you want your life to come together and you want a different type of life, you believe to the point where you bow. And it's this bowing of, of surrender. We were told he would come, and he did. We were told he would come in righteousness, which means he's fully right and good. There's no sin, and he lived that life. We were told that we would find salvation. But the people of the day, like, they missed it because salvation to them was on their terms. They didn't want him to die. They wanted him to conquer. And so on this side of history, we can actually see that what he did goes beyond the Middle East 2,000 years ago. It's eternal. It impacts the whole world. And only Christ could do it. So I wanna encourage you, in the middle of everything you have in your life, and I know there are some real things we're dealing with, stresses, problems, pain. This is the time despite everything you have where you can slow down and ask God to help you and ask Jesus to make himself real to you. And it's also time to ask the question, am I ready to bow the knee to Jesus? So I wanna just give, as I close, just some ideas for how you can prepare uh, for Easter. The first is bowing my knee to Jesus for the first time. That, that's if you've never become a Christian. A Christian is not something you're born into. You decide, it's a decision. It's that belief where you bow your knee. If you've never done that, uh, the best way you can prepare for Easter is to do that and become a Christian. And if you mark that uh, on your connection card, if you scan that, uh, there's a place where we could send you info about following Jesus, and uh, we, we would love to follow up with you. Uh, the second is uh, spending some time reading through John 12 through John 20. Read some scripture, uh, understand more, grow, ask questions like, what was Jesus doing, and how does this impact me? And then the third is asking God to show me what I'm going after. That is, what am I bowing the knee to?
sports? What's like my pursuit? And is that right? And then another one is inviting my friends and family to Ridgeview's Easter celebration. If this is real, if we can have victory over self-effort and victory over keep beating our heads against the wall from being in the same place and being stuck, does that really matter? Like if it does, then we need to tell people. And so that's why we have flyers in your program. That's why we're having two services is we, we want everyone to know the good news about Jesus. And so I encourage you to invite. And then another just to represent the humble king is humbling myself and serving somebody. If you ever wanna know if you're in line with God's ways, humble yourself. You'll always be in alignment. And it's hard to do. But humble yourself, serve someone. And then last, daily thanking God for someone in my life. It's so easy to take people for granted, what we have for granted. In the United States, we are blessed. We are very blessed. And if you want to prepare for Easter, you just thank God for that blessing. Because he's worthy of our gratitude. So those are some things. I need my heart to get right. I need my heart sometimes can become as hard as stone. It can be hardened. I can be tired. I can be worn. But we're entering a week now, which is like the most beautiful week of history. Where everything has changed. And on this side of history, we know how it ends. Christ did what he came to do. And it's the most beautiful thing. So next steps, uh, you can mark these on uh, your connection card. Uh, on that, you can also yeah, let, let us know about following Jesus. Uh, right here, guys, if you have some prayer requests, uh, if you just sense you need to take a next step, just let us know there. Um, that's your way of communicating with us. Uh, that Church Center app, again, is, is for us to help you grow and take your next step. So make sure you, you download that if, if you haven't yet. And uh, you can mark that and then prepare for Easter by just choosing maybe one of those things uh, that I mentioned. So last but not least, what time is it? 10.59, okay. Last but not least, I wanted to let you know of what I'm gonna be talking about next week. Um, we're starting a new series, and this is one of my favorite images, um, which is a lot of what I'm talking about today. There are so many in your life, and this could include you, that are experiencing life on the left side. And... This is a cemetery. And so many of us are experiencing that kind of life, like a life of just death. And we don't say that, but it's like longing for something that you don't have and disappointment and shame and pain. Most of the people in our lives, this is their life. And it's consuming, it's overwhelming. And it's broken. And what this represents is life in Christ. The light found in following him, the salvation and the righteousness in him alone. So next week, I'm gonna be talking about beginning again. And the idea is it's never too late for a do-over. You know how many people in our lives long for a do-over? And they're stuck and they are messed up. 
and they are looking for anything to soothe and help them, most of the time outside of the church. Like this is the last place they wanna go, because why? Because they think everyone's gonna see the darkness and condemn me. But as a church, we're saying, we see this, and we wanna show you what's on the other side. So I wanna encourage you, when we talk about inviting, we're talking about this. It's not about Ridgeview. It's about the king who we have an opportunity to introduce to people, who's not just victorious and not just the rightful king, but he's humble. And he meets people exactly where they are. So I wanna encourage you, may this stir in you a desire to invite people that you know long for life. So I wanna pray for our services next week. Now, are there people that will come next week that we'll never see again? Absolutely. Maybe at Christmas we'll see them again. But we're gonna welcome them here at Ridgeview because God works. He works during this week. He works on Easter Sunday and he works beyond that. So I just wanna pray for all the people that you're inviting. Again, on your connection card, uh, last week it was great to see the names of the people you're inviting. Our prayer team prayed for those people. So let us know. Other people you're inviting, mark that on that connection card and we'll pray this week. So I just wanna pray for our services. I wanna pray for all of you as you're inviting and that God would be honored and that he would really work next week. So let's pray together as the band comes up. God, we thank you for Christ and the fulfillment of not only prophecy, but the fulfillment of everything that we need, the promise of a new hope and a new beginning. And so we pray for our services next week, uh, for all those who will come. There are people that are experiencing things that we cannot imagine, that are in dark places that we would not even know and understand. But we know that you're stirring the hearts of people as we speak. And we pray, God, just for all the invitations that will go out to neighbors and coworkers and friends and family, for all the the, the marketing and the different things that people will see. We pray for our city event as we meet people in our community next Saturday. God, you know exactly who needs to be here, who needs to hear the gospel. You know exactly what's going on in everybody's life. So we thank you for that. We, we just ask that you'll soften hearts, that you'll remove blinders from people's eyes. We pray against the enemy and the work of darkness that he wants to overwhelm people and come against us. I bind him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that next week people will experience hope for the very first time. And I pray, God, that as people come, they will see the bridge from death to life. And by your power, by your strength alone, they will walk that bridge. We thank you for the work that you do that we cannot. And so in faith, we ask, for you to help us. We pray for all the different elements of our Easter egg hunt and all of our volunteers. Thank you for our volunteers, Lord. We pray that this will be a celebration that people will remember and that because of it, their lives will be changed. We ask this in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.